Hi everyone, this is Klaatu, and um, I'm on the phone with Jason DeRose from a brand new project, well I guess it's not brand new, but a, a new to me project called Nova Cut. Hey Jason, how are you doing? Great, thanks. How are you? I'm pretty good. So, um, Nova Cut, first of all, give me a rundown on, on what exactly it is. I mean, I know that it's a video editor, but what's, what's special about it? What's unique about it? The most special thing about it is it's a collaborative editor. By that we mean you can work on the same edit with other artists in real time who are you know, in, in remote locations. It was all inspired by basically distributed version control tools and what a, an advantage they've been for an open source in terms of you know, making it very competitive in the market. So we wanted to bring the same kind of tools to artists. Um, and, and plus, you know, we didn't actually realize this when we started the project, but there's there have been a lot of artists that have been asking for this sort of thing for quite a while. So when did the project start? Because I, I, I've read online that it's it's actually not a it's not as new as I think it is. About a year ago, the idea formed, and actually procrastinating on finding a new job, pretty much, <laughs> and it just kind of you know all of a sudden the pieces clicked, and I was just like you know we can do this, and the time in the market is right. So we were pretty much broke when we started. So we tried a Kickstarter campaign, um, but you know like. We were totally unknown and, you know, had a hard time there for sure because it turns out Kickstarter doesn't work that way. It's not a magic button that you uh, just put your project on and suddenly it gets funding. Nope, not even a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so right now, where is the project? Um, what have you got? And, I mean, okay, so you've got a Kickstarter campaign going on now, but I guess what have you... Uh, what have you got to show for the project? The past year, well, not it hasn't been a year of development. It's only been um, a little over eight months of no, a little over nine months of development. So the first piece we worked on, we call the distributed media library. And so with how we do our collaborative editing, um, basically we're really lazy and we get it for free just because we're storing the edit in CouchDB. And there's a few details I'll, I can get into later on that. But, um, but the hard thing that we can't, don't get for free is they have to get files back and forth between users. And we also have to uh, support offline versions or proxy versions. Basically media asset management, but it's, a, as far as I know, a really unique solution um, in that it's very simple, it's peer-to-peer, -peer, and really was designed start to finish for a certain user experience. So that piece is basically done, and now we're moving on. And, and during that time, we've done very extensive UX research for the editor and are just getting into UI design work. Okay, so let's take a step back for a minute. I mean, first of all, it sounds like this distributed media thing was actually probably the, the hardest part. I mean, if maybe I'm wrong because I'm not a programmer, but that part seemed actually... I mean, if that's done, it, it almost seems like you've got a pretty major chunk done. Is that right, or am I wrong? Um, definitely right. I mean, that's that's kind of the reason why we took it on first, because that was the, the highest risk part, in our opinion. And it's still, you know, it, it's, it's definitely put a lot of work into keeping it simple, and because of the way we're leveraging CouchDB, like, you know, it's it does a lot for the number of lines of code, for sure. Yeah, it sounds like it. Okay, so let me, let me just take a step back. So, I mean, if you and I had uh, shot some video or something, just to make sure I'm understanding this, we'd shot some video, and then you go back to wherever you are, and I'm here, wherever I am. We could, in theory, both, we could start up NovaCut on our local computers, and we could essentially be collaborating back and forth on, like, hey, how about this cut for this scene? Just back and forth as if though we were sitting right next to each other. Is that correct? Yep, exactly. The first thing that has to happen is, you know, each person has to have at least, uh, you know, a low-res version of the video to look at. Um, sure. But once that happens, it's basically like uh, Google Docs. 
where in, in real time you can you know see changes. Wow, that's amazing. I mean, it just seems like to someone who I've been kind of using Linux for a while now, and I've been looking for a video editor for a while now for Linux, and it's just been very elusive. You know, we've seen projects come and projects go. We've seen projects get really, really close to where they need to be, and we've seen them kind of not get there, and and just a lot of, like, frustration. So it's pretty exciting, and it seems like this is a pretty big leap. Uh, Am I overestimating what NovaCut could mean for for Linux, or well, we hope not. Um, okay. I mean, you know, I think the the I think honestly, making just getting a video editor working isn't that hard because there's been uh, you know 30 of them or so <laughs> different right, open source right. video editor projects. We were very opinionated about the artists we were trying to help, and that you know we were it was only for pro use. We ourselves are not filmmakers, and so we're gonna have to spend a lot of time talking to filmmakers to make sure we have our priorities right. Right. Okay. So it almost sounds like the, I guess, the frameworks sort of exist by now, but what people maybe haven't been quite getting is the way that a real filmmaker is going to want to use the software that sort of uses all those frameworks. Yeah, I, I think so, because we're leveraging GStreamer, which is someone mentioned online the other day that's, you know, a couple million lines of code. And people say, like, oh, you're making another video editor. It's like, well, no, we're reusing a couple million lines of code very solid, mature foundations to build on. So it doesn't sound like you're going to be necessarily copying the the interface design and stuff like that of, of other editors. Like you're, It sounds like you guys are trying to develop your own style and let the artists sort of work in a, a specific way that I guess the artists right now are kind of helping you understand what they need. Yeah, exactly. And I guess one thing I should say on that, you know, we're not trying to make it different just for the sake of being different, but we tried to go in with a pretty clear mind. I mean, like, I personally kind of avoided, say, using SCP the last year just because I wanted to really think through um, the problems before kind of having my, my idea about how you should do it color too much. But at the same time, you know, any time we see something that someone else is doing well and we can't think of a way to do it better, we have no problem just copying what they're doing. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, no one in the programming business usually does, so I think that's kind of status quo. Um, so it uses GStreamer. What else? What other uh, technologies that people would sort of be familiar with uh, are you using on the back end? Yeah, GStreamer is the you know the way we can avoid the multimedia backend problem, and then CouchDB is is really really central to the design. Um, it's like a, a database kind of thing, like a really quick database or something. The big thing about CouchDB is it does this kind of crazy bidirectional rsync pretty much, and the, you know that's that's the feature that we needed. We you know we, we saw the, the advantage of a collaborative editor, but um, basically had no idea to do how to do it, and it just seemed too hard to problem, and then uh, I actually learned about CouchDB from Desktop Couch. He um, basically a, a per-user CouchDB launcher that um, Stuart Langrich was the mastermind of. Oh. Um, and looking at that, I realized, like, oh, hey, if we store the edit in CouchDB, we kind of get collaborative editing for free, um, assuming the you know the file side of things is taken care of. And then, and I guess another advantage of CouchDB is so it's a a document-oriented database. Um, it's almost like you have one table, and each row in the table can be totally freeform. Like you know, it doesn't have to have the same number of columns or um, 
but it turns out it's a it's a really nice way to model and edit. A lot of what editor has to do is, you know, there's some way to model the edit. There's some way to save it to disk. There's an API for changing the edit state. There's some kind of event system for how the, the render backend updates those changes. And CouchDB was such an elegant solution there. I mean, that, that saved us so much work. So it sounds like a lot of this... I mean, it's not actually such a big, it is a big deal that it's distributed, but I mean, in terms of what information you're actually sending from one workstation to another, whether it's in the same net, the same local network or whether you're doing this online with someone over the internet, it sounds like you're not actually sending like that much information. You're just sending like, I want to cut in here, cut out there, that sort of thing. Is that is that accurate? Um, exactly. Yeah, and CouchDB actually sends pretty much a, a stream of diffs, so you're not even having to send across like the entire document. But so yeah, it's, okay. it's very little data once you have the files on each end. So I'm just curious, like, how did um, what what made you guys think of doing a distributed editor of all things? I mean, that just seems like I think I would have thought that everyone else would have been still trying to tackle, oh, let's make an iMovie clone. And here you guys are doing something that, frankly, I don't even know of an editor that really has ever done right in the first place. I mean, Avid Unity kind of does it. Final Cut Server was a horrible failure. So, I mean, where did you come up with this idea? What what need were you trying to fill or, or what was happening? <laughs> um, hmm. Well, so the, the other part of NovaCut is a distribution platform for direct-to-fan stuff. And so wow. I was kind of noticing, like, you know, because of HDSLR especially, there was all these little productions springing up that were very high quality. I mean, you know, often looked you know better what you'd, better than what you'd see on TV, for example, and we're pulling it off on really low budget. HDSLR just being like those high-end sort of digital cameras that take HD motion captures as well. Right, right. Yeah, so the like the, the Canon 5D Mark II was, you know, the the first real caused a lot of shakeup, you know. Pretty, yeah, yeah. These productions usually are, you know, they just distribute direct to, direct to fan, they rely on crowdfunding, and we saw like, well, if you can give those productions a, a central marketplace where, you know, there's a lot of entertainment you can get and it's easy to discover new entertainment, um, you know, kind of Netflix rating and ratings and reviews kind of things, you know, we could help get these productions over that ledge where they're actually profitable and they can keep doing this. So, you know, that's what we wanted to do. Exactly. Have you approached any of these projects um, about NovaCut? I mean, are they aware of it yet? Or Yeah, yeah. So, um Tara, our community manager and artist liaison, has uh, spent a lot of the last year doing just that. Um, just, you know, n- networking with these artists, touching base with them, telling them what we're doing, getting feedback. So I- anyway, I mean, that's that's where our business model is. But then, you know, we were thinking that, I think especially for these productions, you know, saving them time is so critical because, you know, it's like they reduce costs so much that time is kind of the, the remaining thing to try to yeah. optimize. And I don't even think um, it's unique to, to these kinds of productions. I mean, you, you, you hear that at, at all the TV studios and everything. I mean, it's just faster, faster, faster productions. Yeah, true, true. Yeah, maybe maybe we actually don't have a our ear to the ground enough um, in other areas because, you know, there's certain sort of artists that we're really uh, looking out for and want to try to, you know, help. But, so we start thinking about, you know, helping build them tools for one is just a really great way to build relationships with artists. And we, and we wanted to, to have, I don't know, you know to, to put something serious on the table if we could in terms of like, you know, we, we're really rooting for you and we're building this for you and here's kind of a a gesture along those lines. And then I guess I was just realizing that we could build something that was a lot simpler than what the industry is building and could do something that no one else has, has, has done yet, which makes it, makes it exciting. And it's usually been the editor side of things that gets people excited about it. Um, right, right. What part do you, what do you do for NovaCut? 
I'm the lead developer, um, okay. and I also can be credited or blamed for having the idea. Um, <laughs> but the the other two Novacut co-founders, um, Jeff Bala and Terrell Field, um, you know, have, at this point, it's it's not my idea anymore. It's a, a group effort to uh, shape it and polish it into what it is now. Now, I saw the first thing I saw of Novacut that I could really sort of get my mind around was an online demo that someone had shown me, uh, and it's sort of a clip editor, and it was really exciting because it was in a web browser and it wasn't using Flash. So, how much <laughs> of this is you know, how much is that? I mean, it's obviously a significant thing that it can be happening in a web browser. Is it going to be a web app or, or what? This is actually a point we need to be clear on, I think. So um, technically, it's not a web app. We're using a lot of web technologies just because it seems a really good fit. So when possible, we're going to use WebKit to do all the UI, but it's going to be, you know, embedded web, WebKit running in a local um, application. And then WebKit talks to CouchDB. But because of that architecture, we can then basically kind of Sever the, the locality there and make it available in, in a you know any like HTML5 browser and you know the, the other components are running on a server. We don't think that's going to be a practical way to to do serious editing. But you know, for example, like if you're trying to to show a client a bit of what you're working on, if you could pull up an edit and you know not just show like a, a render of it or whatever, but actually you know show the edit, even if you wouldn't really want to work that way, just having that accessible like that is we think a, a really cool option. Or another use case for that is if you were like working on set and you had a you know workstation with the server components running on it and you have a tablet and so you know you're basically browsing to the edit and because it's on a local network you're going to have it's going to be nice and responsive and um, so just as, just as kind of like a workflow tool on set and we're trying to use HTML5 for the UI it's just a very plastic tool so you know but the editors tend to need very fairly freeform kind of canvasy user interfaces and you know I think at this point it's, it's honestly a lot easier to do that with HTML5 than it is a traditional toolkit. When you say it's HTML5 does that mean just HTML5, or are you also saying HTML5 plus, like, CSS3? Uh, yeah, yeah, and, and JavaScript, okay. and, yeah, using it in the way you're not supposed to, so. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Again, I mean, I'm not a programmer, but, like, probably most other geeks, I mean, I, I play around a lot in HTML and in CSS, and a little bit in JavaScript when I can, so, I mean, it sounds like almost, I mean, like, I could theoretically sort of do some customization of my environment, or will that all go away once you get it into its own little UI and everything? Um, nope. You you hit the nail on the head. So, uh, yeah, you, you're a perfect example of why we think it's important, because, like, you know, you, like you said, you're not a programmer, but you do know some HTML, you do know some JavaScript. So I think it's important for, I think especially with this kind of thing, you know, professional artists and, and storytelling, it's very time-consuming. <laughs> and you might be doing some oddball production where just kind of the weird workflow eccentricities that your project has, it's worth it for you to build a little step custom or, you know, um, try to you know ask some web developer to do that for you. So we think it's it's hugely important to make that as accessible as possible in terms of, you know, something as many people as possible know and a relatively easy, easy, easy thing to work with. So is this mainly geared toward Linux or is it going to be multi-platform or what's it running on right now, I guess, is an even better first question. Right now, Ubuntu is our primary target. We're going to play it by ear as far as where else to take it. When we first started this, you know, we gave serious consideration to having OSX, you know, either a equal partner as far as the platforms go, or even the primary platform. But I had a, a nervous feeling about where Apple 
was going with things. And I wanted to make sure we had a platform where we weren't going to get blindsided. We, you know, we knew it was coming. And then also where we can get involved and shape the development direction. And yeah, it's been a, it's been the best decision we've made, I think. So, you know, depending on how things play out, we may port it to OSX, but we may not also. Um, but we feel that having, having Ubuntu as the primary platform is a really important safety. Yeah. Well, I mean, I personally, I think that was a great idea. You know, in my dream world, Linux would finally get some killer video application and everyone using OS X would migrate over to Linux. So, yeah, it's fantastic that this is a, a, a Linux-y project right now. Although, that said, I, I really do like multi-platform stuff as well because, you know, it's just really nice when you're stuck on some other platform, you can still use the application that you that you know and love. Right. And I guess another thing I should say on that too, the hesitation to commit right now to porting like the, the render backend to OSX is um, as far as I know, GStreamer is not exactly ported to OSX right now and that could be a you know pretty big piece of work. But I think we, we will definitely port DMedia to OSX. It's Python, um, CouchDB runs on OSX, so it's just not a very big hurdle. So DMedia, that's the distributed media component of all this. That was written right. in Python. Wow. Yeah, yeah. It seems like such a huge job, and I, I always, I guess I, I keep thinking of Python as not a, I don't know, you know, the cliche about it not being fast or whatever. Yeah, it just depends on what you're doing with it. I mean, the only um, really performance-sensitive part is the, the content hashing, but, you know, that's actually happening in C code anyway, so... Um, oh, okay. It, and, and over time, you know, we, could, we may rewrite some components of it um, in C, but right now, getting a protocol finalized is, you know, the most important thing, so being able to really iterate quickly is, is a lot more important. Would D-Media be useful for other types of media? I mean, just thinking about... I mean, I guess it must do audio and video right now, correct? Yeah, um, it, it actually worked with any files. Okay. Our, our hope is that, you know, especially on Linux, we would love to have other people build on the kind of core collaborative stuff we've made, step up to build some, some really first-class uh, pro-creative apps. I don't have that much, you know, I'm not that clear on what all a Final Cut, Final Cut Pro plugin has access to and how easy it would be to make Final Cut talk to D-Media, but that's something we'd love to do, too, because, you know, it would help artists um, right now and then, you know, kind of give them a way to start migrating parts of their workflow, I guess. Very nice, yeah. Well, I mean, that actually, that's that kind of leads me to something I've been wanting to ask. So, um, how how much of a an application is Nova Cut going to be? Like, how big of a beast is this? I mean, is this going to be everything from, like, editing to, um, you know, color correction to compositing to rendering? Or or is it really just kind of like a, here's a nice way to cut some stuff, put it into a sequence, and then dump it, dump the edit decisions out and, and you know, stick it together with some other thing? I mean, like, what what's the scope, I guess? Initially, our focus is making it just a really fantastic cutting tool. Long-term goal is to make it a end-to-end solution for the productions we're targeting. You know, everything from, like, script writing to logistics. If the goal is to save them time, we have to kind of look at everywhere we can do that. And it's not that Obacut won't become some bloated super application, but it's basically that we save information in the same database, and then we build workflows on top of that that are pretty much, you know, to, to the user, it's going to seem like a standalone application. But the great thing is that these workflows can draw the information created in other workflow steps when it makes sense. Yeah, that's that's really cool. I mean, I was getting really excited about NovaCut, just kind of like where I am in the independent film world. It's just, you know, being able to tell people I work with or my friends that Linux is a, a valid option without having to, you know, 
spend five years getting to know Linux first, that kind of thing. So, I mean, I was really excited about it, uh, and I thought maybe I might be the only one. Maybe I was, like, getting excited about it or whatever, but, I mean, I actually started to see some some pretty... I mean, you've got people really kind of interested in it. I mean, there's one guy... Um, I don't remember his real name, but he's Ichi in IRC, who's, like, done uh, compositing work for Harry Potter, uh, for Clash of the Titans. Uh, the guy who did uh, Four-Eyed Monsters, Aaron Crumley, I think is his name, he's he's kind of interested in this. So, I mean, you've got some people really looking at this, it sounds like, as a serious uh, solution. Yeah, um, and we feel so lucky to, to have that. But, you know, it didn't just happen magically either. You know, the reason that happened is the very first thing we did is started talking to these artists. And the first artists we started talking to tended to be people that, you know, were pursuing pretty far out business models or, you know, by some standards, pretty far out business models. So, um, like the, the, the Pioneer One guys who started talking to early on and Aaron Crumley and, and people like that were, they were willing to, to hear us out even when we, you know, sounded like just some crazy hippies at first. And then, <laughs> and then, then over time, it's been interesting that more and more serious industry people that, you know, are working in the, the very not far out business model end of it in, in Hollywood are, you know, starting to, to talk to us and, um, you know, give us feedback, and, and especially after the, the FCPX issue. I was going to mention that, yeah. Yeah, all, all of a sudden the conversation has gotten uh, a lot easier. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, there was no way for you guys to anticipate that, and I don't know how, how how much of a general knowledge it is, but Final Cut Pro recently came out with a brand-new version, complete rewrite of what really has become a, an industry-standard video editing platform. And it's really upset, like, a lot of people. I mean, there are online petitions. Uh, there are people really, really upset over this redesign of Final Cut Pro, and it's not backward compatible with the previous version of Final Cut. So people who are who are updating aren't able to open up their old edits in this new version. And then you come along and announce that, oh, by the way, we're going to have Final Cut XML compatibility. It just seems like, wow, how perfect was that? Have you been getting a lot of response from Final Cut Pro would-be bailout? We're starting to. It's, you know, it's taken a little time to spread our reach there, you know, because initially we really relied a lot on kind of the open source community to kind of, you know, get excited about this and because it was a, an easier step for them. But it was actually talking to to Aaron Crumley recently about FCPX, and he said something like, well, you know, you pretty much have a diaspora situation, so you should definitely do a Kickstarter right now. And we're like, hmm, yeah, you're right. So your business model sounds like it's really kind of targeting the idea of a community creating content and and sort of consuming that content as well. Is the is the future of the application, I mean, it's, it's completely free software right now, right? It's open source. Um, right. People can download it and modify it and all that other stuff. Is that pretty much your your goal to keep it uh, that way? Are you going to change that? Um, yeah, it, it absolutely is. And, you know, a lot of the reason why is, I guess to clarify a little bit what the, the exact business model is. So, you know, we're a distribution platform and when artists make money, we'll take a cut. And okay. we made a really deliberate decision to only make money when and if artists make money so that we're you know, we're aligning our priorities. You know, it's like, okay, we, we, we want to make more money. How do we do that? Go make artists more money. And so we deliberately don't want side channel revenue. But, you know, another option we could do is, say, support. And I think especially, you know, we could have traction in Hollywood. That's a place where that makes sense. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, if, if people set up a, a Nova Cut server, you know, and had a room full of editors uh, working on different projects, different segments, whatever, they would obviously, I'm sure they would want support 
support for that, just to have someone to call just in case, you know, there's a question or whatever. Yeah, yeah. It seems like I keep hearing about Linux, you know, in the movie world, like in applications like Shake or uh, Smoke, and and studios like using a bunch of Linux on the on the back end so that they can do their own. Uh, custom software solutions. Do you think this could take advantage of any of that or might be well-received by places that, that already use Linux? Uh, I think so. Um, Have you talked to any of them about that yet? Or, I mean, I know they don't just, you know, you don't just call them up, but, I mean, have you <laughs> right. have you been contacted by anyone of that sort? Um, well, we haven't yet, but we do have a friend who um, not long ago finished a, a couple-year contract um, at a, a special effects uh, shop. They did more 3D anima- more 3D animation, but some some special effects also. Okay. And his entire job was basically to try to glue the tiny bit of uh, uh, FCP workflow they had into their Linux workflow. And I think I think you said there were like four or five contractors on this. So wow. you know, a sizable hunk of money over a couple of years was spent just you know as a as a band aid pretty much. And uh, he, he was saying that you know people that, that run those kind of studios or run post houses would, um, you know, be foaming at the mouth for a Linux editor that was... Real. Yeah, yeah. A serious, yeah, not well, superior option. Yeah, yeah. It often amazes me when I go to a studio or to a production facility and you see them paying out so much money for multi-seat licenses for Final Cut or, or trying, like you say, trying to sort of force fit their final cut piece into an otherwise Linux-based, and it might not even be open-source Linux stuff. It might be stuff that they've built in-house and kind of keep for themselves, but it's still Linux-based. And you're just like, why don't they just take a chunk of money and invest it in a group of programmers to write them uh, a proper editor? Like, what's the... uh What's the holdup? Yeah, it's actually a, a pretty good question, um, and I think it's it's an interesting opportunity for us because if we can, you know, do a lot of the work and kind of bring the leadership and design focus into it that's needed, you know, all of a sudden it, it gets a lot more attractive for them to. You know, it's like, okay, here's here's something that's viable. Why don't we throw money at the few features we need to use in our workflow? Yeah, yeah I mean, that's I guess the classic argument against certainly Final Cut, and, and of course it's, I think, kind of been the traditional one against Photoshop, is that there's so many features in these things. And then you look at a, you know, the, the, the real people actually using the, the applications in a professional environment, and they, like, they use, like, 15 of the features. You know, it's just they don't want this fancy transitions or the, you know, the funky little title animations. You know, they just use the the, the, the real parts. <laughs> yeah. What's your background in, in Linux and, and programming, for that matter? Mostly Python programmer. And I've actually done a, a ton of little projects with GStreamer, so it's you know, part of the reason it was a, uh, an obvious choice for me. I've also done a lot of database stuff, although I'm pretty new to the, the NoSQL world and I'm pretty new to CacheDB. I worked at Red Hat for a couple of years before before this NovaCut craziness. Oh, wow. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. Great company. And and that kind of that shows that you're pretty familiar with, like, heavy lifting kinds of stuff. I mean, Red Hat, you think of really serious networks, really serious environments. So I could kind of see NovaCut fitting in pretty well with, you know, with a studio where time was money and, and reliability mattered, all that other good stuff. Well, and another strength of, of Linux, you know, because I think modern video editing needs a strong server foundation. People just aren't going to get that from Apple. You know, I mean, Apple doesn't run 
OS X on their new big data center, and there's a reason why. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So how far along is NovaCut in terms of, I don't know, the timeline or whatever? I mean, how, how, how much of it is built in terms of the stuff that someone like me who would want to cut video, I mean... How far along is that part? It's it's getting really close. So one of the things I've, I've spent a, a lot of work on the last year, uh, designing how the edits are stored in CouchDB. The emphasis there was really making it as easy as possible for UI designers to work with that because the schema is basically the the API. You know, rather than having like an API. You basically like manipulate the file format is a way to think about it. It's very simple, very direct. And with the way it's designed, it's also really easy to map into a, a GStreamer pipeline, which um, people okay. have been whining about the fact that we don't have that yet. But, you know, the GStreamer, or like the, the Gene Online API is, is actually very high level, in, in my opinion. And because we have a, a graph-based way of describing the edit, it turns out super easy to build a graph-based pipeline. So I, I just cool. actually started working on that this week, one night when I was really tired. <laughs> Great time to start programming. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and and I almost have it being able to render cuts, basically. So, you know, no transitions yet, no uh, volume adjustments, anything like that, but just um, rendering cuts. And so I'm going to try to finish that up. It, it's hard to do during Kickstarter because it's so distracting, but I'm going to try to get that finished during Kickstarter to kind of prove the point that's like, hey, you know what, when I said this wasn't a lot of work, it's because I had done some background research and realized it wasn't a lot of work. And then on the UI side, we're prototyping with kind of pre-generated canned video files and like metadata in a totally separate repo. And we run it in a browser just because we want to go through a lot of variations and basically measure how fast they are to use before we pick the ones that are, are worth doing a full implementation of. But then because we're using WebKit for actual live UI, you know, it's not a ton of work to move the exact same UI onto the live backend. So we think, uh, you know, if Kickstarter works out, we can kind of like stay afloat float financially and um, I don't have to rush off and get a full-time uh, software gig, right. um, that we can probably be doing the first full-on collaborative edits in about two months. Wow, that'd be really cool. Uh, we think so, too. <laughs> so in terms of, um, and this is probably getting way ahead of everything, but it's just stuff I've I'm really curious about. So in terms of like compatibility with other editors, I mean, I know you were saying maybe down the line there would be some way to hook into or have Final Cut hook into D-Media, that sort of thing. But let's say I start my project in NovaCut and then for whatever reason I have to get it out and take it over to, I don't know, Blender for some compositing or um, Final Cut or whatever I would want to do in Final Cut. Uh, is that sort of thing going to be uh, possible? Or I mean, I guess it would probably be an edit decision list of some sort, but, I mean, is that is that pretty easy to do as well? As far as I know, yeah. Um, it seems like the, the XML support is the most important, um, right. just in terms of kind of feedback I've got so far from people. And, you know, I haven't looked too much into how the their schema works. But the nice thing is, on, on our end, how we describe it is very simple. And so, you know, something on the other end that isn't too crazy, it's going to be pretty easy to go back and forth between the two. And what's wh- why did you guys choose the HDSLR format? Was it simply because that was the equipment you had, or do you just see a lot of promise for that? And, and do you plan on supporting other uh, formats? Or was, is that all going to just be falling on GStreamer anyway? Um, good question. Well, I guess maybe I'll, I'll answer the last part of it first. So okay. it, it is all falling on GStreamer. And so, you know, in, in reality, it's going to work with a bunch of cameras um, sure. right from the start. As, as far as HSLR, the things that are special about it is it's about full metadata support. So I'm not sure if you've ever noticed that there are these little uh, .thm files corresponding to each video. Right. Um, so they actually have the 
the same exit data that you'd normally have in a still. And there's a lot of handy, I mean, you know, I personally think having like the shutter speed and aperture and ISO and that kind of stuff is is priceless in terms of learning to shoot good video. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then there's also nice stuff like we know the white balance and um, the camera serial number. And so there's a lot of workflow automation opportunities with, with that metadata. Yeah. So the, the reason we started there, I mean, Tara's a photographer, so, you know, we do have the equipment. But the real reason we, we picked it was that probably 75% of these kind of recent direct-to-fan web serials and, and movies and shorts are being shot in HDSLR. And that's a big part of what's enabling them to make something high-quality for as, as little as, as they are. Okay, well, in that case, you've probably already started tackling this I. I, I was going to try not to ask this question because I thought it'd be, again, just way out there, but maybe this is something you guys have already experienced and accounted for. But obviously for a, one of those cameras, I'm probably not getting the audio you know, into that camera. I'm probably recording it on some separate device like the H4N or, or something like that. How, how do you get the audio and the video to be associated or is that going to be all on the editor's uh, job? We want to automate it whenever possible. Um, so one nice thing about the the file import workflow that we have for DMedia is, you know, you can you can shove anything into it, and you don't have to have the editor open actually to, to import stuff. Um, so you know, it takes care of you know audio, video, photos you happen to take, whatever other things might be on the cards. And, and because typically you're, you're importing the the audio and video that go together near each other in, in, in time as far as when you do the import. It's an easy way to narrow down which files go together and then going to work on an audio sync, like pluralize, basically. So, you know, since there's no time code, we can just take the, the crappy in-camera audio and then the good external audio and, you know, find the alignment points and line up the clips that way. Oh, so nice. we, we, we want to make that totally automated. Um, so wow. when... When you open it in the editor, you see the clips already grouped and lined up. I wonder, I guess on like, I mean, specifically on the H4N, and I'm only using that as a reference point because that happens to be the one that I have, you could go into the menu and like name your, you know, you can change the default file name. So I guess if there was some way to sync up on set how you're naming the audio files and, and, and what you're naming the video files, I guess that could be something too. I don't know. True. Yeah, we have an H4N also just because, so we're also focusing on, you know, we want to kind of have a standard equipment recipe that we actually have so we can test with all the time. And it seems sure. like, you know, the H4N is what people are using more than anything else. So that's, that's why we got one. And what camera are you guys using then? The 5D Mark II and a 7D. Okay, cool. And how are your, just out of curiosity, how are the rigs? Are you got nice lenses or anything or, or any of the nice shoulder mounts that they're coming out with for those? Or, or is it pretty much just the straight up camera? I'm just curious. Um, no shoulder mounts because we, you know, we're, at, we're out of money by the time we started this. But um, from, <laughs> right. for, for, from Tara's, you know, photography side of things, um, she has quite a few, you know, like, nice um, Canon lenses. And, but, yeah, and then we do have, um, uh, my brother has a, a Merlin Steadicam that we borrow pretty often. Oh, so we've nice. been able to play with, uh, you know, a bit of stabilization, too. Very cool. Um, okay, cool. Um, so are you guys looking for, or I imagine you might be looking for help, what what kind of uh, contributions, aside from going over to Kickstart and putting down some money, which, believe me, is well worth it, and I think people who are into this kind of thing, independent art and independent uh, software, should do that, but what is there any other kind of help that you guys are in need of right now? One of the easiest places to get involved um, is with uh, the UI prototyping. You know, with the media, partly because a lot of it was just in my head and it was... You know, I couldn't get it out 
fast enough. <laughs> right. Um, but it, you know, it was a little hard to divide and conquer there. But now, like with the, the prototyping, especially, you know, we, we want people just to run with it. And so, you know, we're trying to make that easy to get involved with. There are a few hard places we need some help, and one of them is um, we need sort of a basically a special WebKit plugin so that when so you're doing um, you're scrubbing through a video or you're uh, you're you know you're color correcting and you're applying applying effects, and you want to see the result in, in real time. That's one case where we don't want to have to go through CouchDB to get like a a preview. So we basically need the render server to be able to draw onto the, the HTML canvas directly. There's a hashing library we need ported from Python two or from Python three to Python two. Uh, stuff like that. But um, I'm actually I need to make a page somewhere where I kind of list all these things that you know we need some outside help with to try to you know get that more widely known. Yeah, actually, and I guess we should mention the the website. What is it? Uh, I don't want to say it wrong, so go ahead and tell me what the website, the main website for Novacut is. Um, so it's it's Novacut.com. N O V A C U T. It's just kind of a placeholder right now that looks really pretty. It's designed by uh, James Raymond. Not not much there, but all the codes hosted on Launchpad. I think we've got five projects on Launchpad that have the different components. There's stuff on the Ubuntu Wiki, and then our IRC channels, Hash Novacut on, on Freenode. And what about the Kickstart? Uh, how can people get there? Kickstarter page. So the easiest way to do that is. Well, go to Novacut.com, there's a link. Or if you go to Kickstarter and search for Novacut, the Kickstarter URLs are kind of long and not worth trying to say, probably. <laughs> right. What's the goal of Kickstarter? Like, what's your mon- what are you trying to raise? And what's the cutoff date for people to get in and give you money before the whole thing, I guess, gets rebooted or, or whatever happens at the end of a Kickstarter? <laughs> Um, so we're trying to raise twenty five thousand. Um, actually, the same same amount we tried to raise a year ago, which we you know went on without it for a year. But uh, we really can't do that anymore. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and it ends uh, July twenty ninth. You know, we are looking for investors, but we kind of got too caught up working on um, the code and talking to artists and working on the you know the UX design that we hadn't really been pursuing investors enough. So we're really backed into a corner. So the goal is to get us to the point that we're, we're demonstrating real collaborative editing. Um, you know, it's, it's just going to be cutting. Um, there won't be a lot of features yet, but it's going to be good cutting. And just to really make that tangible so that then it, it's it's easy for us to engage with the best investors and terms that are favorable. One of the reasons we've been hesitant about begging for from you know any random investor is we've put a lot of work into really doing what's right for artists, and that's what our commitment is to. But that can get turned around really quickly with the wrong wrong investor. Right, I see. Yeah, that's a good point, and that's very cool. I I certainly respect and appreciate that myself. Short story of why we started this is Fox canceled one too many Joss Whedon shows, and that was it. <laughs> <laughs> and we're like, damn it, we're, we're going to do something to help artists. We're going to take it into our own hands. And so, you know, it, it really is truly a labor of love because we want to see artists telling their stories. We don't want to see them jerked around by networks or so. Or computer or, companies in terms of the Apple Final Cut fiasco. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Really. Exactly. I don't understand how much they are sort of at the whim of all these larger entities when they have no control or no say over the tools that they're using. So this is a huge deal, uh, I think. I just wish um, artists realized that. But maybe they are starting to see that. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, you know, a month ago, maybe we, we would have got a lot more eye rolls. But all of a sudden, um, it's, it's making a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, very cool. And, um, yeah, I mean... Great luck on the project and on the Kickstarter campaign. Great work on on what exists so far. I'm just 
floored by it. I'm just really, really impressed. It's very exciting. And um, yeah, thanks for talking to me. Thank you for listening to Hacker Public Radio. For more information on the show and how to contribute your own shows, visit hackerpublicradio.org.